So we're Mark chapter 12. We're going to do the first half of that chapter. This morning, we'll just give our attention to God's inherent word. Inerrant, not inherent. <laughs> Different words. All right. God's word, Mark chapter 12. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another and they killed, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. And he had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius. And let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And Sadducees came to him, who say there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no, ch no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise, and the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry or are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Lord, thank you that Jesus left us, not, he left us salvation, and then he left us so many great teachings. Lord, as we listen to this teaching, I pray that you would help all of our hearts be good soil, 
That we would not be stony soil or weedy soil, but good soil. That these seeds would be planted in and would bear good fruit. I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Hey kids, I have a question for you. Have your parents ever given you food and then asked for a bite of it? Have they ever done that? How do you feel when they do that? Maybe you feel like, you have no right to, you gave, this is my food. Get your own food. How should you feel? How do you think you should feel? See, we so quickly forget who gave us anything. Who gave you all the food? Mom did. So if mom wants a bite of it, it's not that weird. She gave you the whole plate, so what if she wants one bite? We do this with God, adults, don't we? Don't we so quickly forget that God gave us everything, and if he asked for anything back, we're like, hey, that's mine. What are you doing, right? That's what we're looking at this morning. Look, look at with me on page seven, you see the outline. Um, our title this morning is Encountering Jesus' Worldview. How you view the world. The glasses, kids, if you and your parents have glasses, when they look through them, they see everything clearly. If they were pink glasses, everything would be pink and blue and so forth. So the, the glasses we look through are our worldview. It's the way we look and interpret everything around us. So what does Jesus want, want us to learn? First, we are not la- landowners. Secondly, we are stewards. And third, we will not always be here. Well, speaking of the first, we are not landowners. Now, let me give you context. Rewind with me to last week. Do you remember Jesus cleared the temple? He left, he came back, and they questioned him and said, what right do you have to do that? Do you remember that? That's what happened last week. This is from chapter 11. It said, um, in that, in that experience, so the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders are the ones who questioned him. That's important to remember. Chief priests, scribes, and elders. They questioned him. Jesus asked them a question about John's baptism. Then this is verse 33 from last week. And they answered Jesus, we do not know. So Jesus stumped them. They couldn't answer. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Then look at our first verse today. And he began to speak to them in parables. There's no gap. I know you have a chapter break, but there's no gap. Like it's immediately followed after that. Okay, so you have these guys who've just questioned Jesus' authority, and then he immediately is telling them a parable. So it's important to know your context, okay? So he's telling them this parable. What's also interesting is this parable, you could actually find in Isaiah 5, the same parable. So, and here, I'll, I'll read you. See if any of this sounds familiar. This is Isaiah 5. My beloved has a vineyard a very fertile, on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower. That's interesting. This, Jesus also said watchtower in the midst of it. Hewed out a wine vat in it. Very similar. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Isaiah is using this of Israel to say, hey, there are a bunch of wild grapes. There's no good fruit. And so Jesus is repeating this. So this would be familiar to the Pharisees or to the, all the Jewish religious leaders of a condemnation. Jesus adds to it another layer of this idea of tenants. Okay, so who do we think the tenants are? <clears throat> who does God send to his people to give him message, messages over time? It's the prophets, right? Through the Old Testament, God would send prophet after prophet. They were not always treated well, right? If you're familiar with the Old Testament, some were killed, some were beaten. And then we get, kids, you get to answer this out loud, okay? So listen close to the question. So we had all the prophets, and then it says that the landowner sent his son, and they killed the son. The son represented who? Close. Jesus. There you go. Jesus. Jesus. So he's the son. But now, for all of us, think about this. Let's get our, get our um, 
our context here. Okay, so you remember Palm Sunday, Jesus came in. <clears throat> On Monday, he, or that day, he went into the temple, came out. Next day, he came in, cleared the temple, went back, came in the next day, and they questioned his authority, which is now Tuesday. Okay, Tuesday. What happens on Good Friday? He's going to be executed. Okay, this is three days before the crucifixion. And Jesus, listen to this verse again with that in context, okay? He says, this is verse 6, And still another beloved son finally sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. Verse 8, And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. On Tuesday, Jesus is saying, this is Passion Week. Three days later, he's going to be hanging on a cross. Jesus knows this. I mean, it's just so amazing how Jesus is foretelling his own death. Now, usually people don't get the meaning of parables, but God allows these to. You see in verse 12, they said, they perceived it was about them. What did they miss about Jesus? These are the very people that are going to execute Jesus. And he's foretelling his death. You see verse 10 there, that's quoting from Psalms. It's uh, Psalm 118, uh, verse 10, you see, the stone that the builders rejected, which is again, Jesus, has become the cornerstone. Kids, you know what a cornerstone is? A cornerstone is a perfectly cut stone. They very carefully cut every angle of it because they would lay that stone in the corner of the building and then build every other stone based on that. And so it had to be perfectly at a right angle if you want your walls to be at a right angle. So that's Jesus. Jesus was laid as the cornerstone of the church. It says, this is um, 1 Peter, says, and we come to him, a living stone rejected by men, should sound familiar, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up. You see, we're stones. And so Jesus laid as a cornerstone and he's continuing to build. Even today, that was 2,000 years ago. He's still the cornerstone. This church It's not my church. It's not your church. Vineyard, not my vineyard. It's not your vineyard. It's Christ. He is the cornerstone. He owns it. He owns it. He is the landowner, which then makes us not the landowner. This is important. This is very important because your worldview matters. If you view yourself like the landowner, that was the mistake of the tenants, right? And actually it said, look at verse 9. It said, he'll give the tenure, he, he said, um, but with the, with the owner, but will the owner, I'm sorry, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants. I mean, can you imagine a powerful man who his tenants just killed his son? That would not be a pretty picture when he came to bring down his wrath. But he said, he will give the vineyard to others. Brothers and sisters, who are the others? It's us, isn't it? We are the others. See, the, the vineyard's been given to, he took it away from the Jews, Except for those that came to Christ, right? But in, in large scale, mainly it's now a Gentile. More, there are more Gentiles in Christianity than J- Jews. We should learn something from the last tenets, right? We should not treat this like it's ours. Do you do that? Isn't it easy to treat like it's ours? We're very quickly to take possession. Whether it's my house and the HOA, whatever it is. Or the, the meal that your mother just gave you, right? This is mine now even though we were just given it. This, we've seen this pattern in recent weeks, just to um, rewind. Remember the rich young ruler? Jesus came and put his finger on his idolatry. Remember that? He loved his money. And so Jesus said, you better give that up. Then we fast forward, he clears the temple. And remember, we learned we are the temple of God. And so that we should let him clear our temple, right? That he is, he is living inside of us. He has authority. We should not question his authority. And so then now we have this parable of the tenants. 
This is a really important concept, that we are not the landowner. It's owned by God. So this brings us to our second point, very closely related, we are stewards. So verse 12, look how the last section ended. They were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that they had that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Okay, so that those three groups of people, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, they all leave. What do they do? They send the next group. So you look at verse 13. <clears throat> they send the Pharisees and some of the Herodians. Right? So, okay, they got humiliated, so they leave, and they send somebody else. So that now it's the Pharisees' turn. What do they want to what do they come to do? It says, they came to, verse 13, to trap him in his talk. How do you like conflict? At work, do you like conflict? Do you like when people are real contentious? Jesus had a lot of this. People coming with the sole purpose of trapping him in, in his words. What a deal. So look what happens there. Verse 14. And they said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and that you care about no one's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances. Man, these guys are so sleazy. They don't mean a single word they're saying. Okay, so what's their attack? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Okay, what's the trap? Well, if he says don't pay taxes, they're trying to label him as a political revolutionary. Right? And so you got Rome against you. If you say pay them... Well, then the Jews don't like you because then you're in cahoots with Rome and you're saying that Rome, who is occupying Jewish land and Jewish people, you see? What are you going to do, Jesus? Jesus is always brilliant. Look how he responds. He says, 15, but knowing their hypocrisy said, why do you put me to the test? Bring me a denarius. So kids, this is a coin. Have you seen a coin? It might have George Washington on it, right? Or some of that's what our coins have on them. So they bring a denarius, and they look at it, and he says, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. So, what does Jesus say? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and the things that are God, the things that are God. So, should they, should they pay taxes? Yes. Should you pay taxes? Yes. But you object and say, but they're going to spend that money on killing unborn children. My tax money is going to go to murdering children. How can I do that? Okay, so think for a second. Caesar, what's he spending their tax money on? It's not building churches. Maybe temples to idols. I mean, you fast forward just a little bit, you got Nero. Okay, if you're, you're a Christian in that, in that age, you're giving your tax money to buy lions and feed them and care for them to then eat Christians. Are you going to feel really good about that? Jesus says pay taxes. Isn't that strange? It's true. Romans 13 says this well. Let every, per, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been established by God. That's a tough pill to swallow. And I'm sure it was for the Romans when they received it, those in Rome. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So you should actually pay your taxes honestly. Don't take shortcuts. Just because the IRS isn't going to know about that money because there's no record of it, you should still honestly pay your taxes. Is, could you read this any other way? Give to Caesars what is Caesars. Jesus' words are very clear. But there's another application. 
don't show disrespect to your leaders. This might even be harder for us. In your verbal speech in social media, Romans 13 goes on, it says, therefore one, one must, be sub, must be in subjection to government leaders, but not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. There it is again. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to him. That's clear too. What is owed to him. Not what you can get away with. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect. Now it gets even harder. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. I mean, if Christians could show honor to Caesar, can you not show honor to previous President Trump, to President Biden, and to whoever else our next president is? It's difficult. But the words are very clear. We owe our leaders respect regardless of whether they act honorably or not. Oh, but Jesus isn't done if that, if that wasn't uncomfortable enough. What, is, what else does Jesus say? He says, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now, the word that he used for likeness there is the same in the Greek Old Testament. So when they translate the Old Testament to Greek, for Genesis 1.26, he created man, mankind, in, in his image, in his likeness. So Jesus is picking that up. So the denarius has whose face on it? Caesar's. And then you are made in whose image? God's image. Do you see the parallel there? So therefore, just like the denarius belongs to Caesar, you belong to God. You see that? You belong to God. His authority is much greater than Caesar's. You must show respect to the government leaders, do what they say. How much more? How much more to God? You know, and so if he is, so think back to the first parable. Our first section, remember the parable, we are not the landowner, we're the tenant. And if the landowner sent and said, hey, I want some of the grape juice or the wine from the vines that I own, right? And so does God do this? So God in his word says that you should give a tithe back to him. And we say, hey, that's my dinner. Why are you getting a bite of it? And the whole thing came from God. Do you see how we do that? He says, give to God the things that are God's. He says, one day out of seven belongs to me. And we say, wait a second. What right do you have to tell me that Sunday belongs to you? I own this. I'm in control, right? Do you see the connection? Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Give to God the things that are God's. So he wants our first fruits. Oh, now here's an interesting one. So it's talking about taxes. And then the scripture talks about tithe. Well, so when I first started tithing, that things got real complicated because I didn't get my whole paycheck. They told me they were paying me this much, but then I got much less than that. Why is that? Well, there's all this fine print on there. There's all these things that they're taking out before I even get it. So I said, well, what, what do I tithe on? Do I tithe on my gross or my net? I just scratched my head. So think about this verse. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. See, we have to make a choice. Which one comes first? Well, so I, I looked at it and said, well, I guess I probably should put God before Caesar, right? And so I, I tithe off my gross. You see that, but it's, it applies way beyond your money. That's just a small thing. We do that with your time, don't you? Isn't it easy for us to say, I don't really have the time to serve God. I filled up all my time. Just like with the money, you spend all your money. Sorry, I don't have any left. Fill up all my time. Do you see what's happening here? He says, you are not the landowner. You are a tenant, and when he says he requires back, that we give our first fruits, whether it's our money, our time, our talents. 
Okay, so look at the end there. It says they marveled at him, i.e., they had nothing to say. Okay, so now it's the next group. We're now to the Sadducees. This brings us to our third point. We will not always be here. We'll not always be here. See, as we just said, your worldview matters. If you view yourself as a landowner, you will spend your time, your talents, and your treasure very differently than if you realize that I'm a tenant and God owns all of it. He's given all to me as a gift. Okay, so now we're to the Sadducees. What do they want to fight about? So look there. They come, verse 18. And they, it's very important, says they believe there is no resurrection. Okay, that's important. Verse 19, they say, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man, a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for the brother. All right, and so this is going to go, there's seven brothers. Um, probably this will not relate to kids. Has anyone ever seen the movie uh, seven, uh, seven Brides for Seven Brothers? Well, this is seven brothers for one bride. <laughs> and uh, so you, you go through and the first one dies, right? And has no kids. And the second one dies. So all seven have been married to this one woman and not, none had any kids. So understand this. You're going to need Deuteronomy, I think it's 24, 25. It's called the Kinsman Redeemer Law or Leverite Marriage. It was because in the ancient Near East, being a young, virgin, or a young widow was not a good deal. And that having a lineage, keeping, preserving the family name was a big deal. And so that they would have children with their brother's wife in order that that name, and, and give the name as if it was the brother's child, right? And so it preserved the family name, okay? And so they're using that to make up this hypothetical scenario. And then they say in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? I.e., they're all going to fight over. They're all going to get to heaven and say, no, that's my wife. Okay, but remember, do they believe in the resurrection, kids? No. They don't believe in the resurrection. So what are they doing? What they're doing is they're trying to say, look, there can be no resurrection because it's ridiculous. You're going to have a bunch of people fighting over the same woman, i.e., there can't be a resurrection. Okay? So this is their argument. What does Jesus do with it? Look there. He responds. Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Now, those are strong words, but they're absolutely warranted. Absolutely warranted. You are wrong. You don't understand scriptures. Now, the scriptures part we're going to see in just a second in the next couple of verses, and then also the power of God. Okay, so what argument does Jesus make? Well, first he says, verse 25, when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are angels in heaven. So in your hypothetical situation, Sadducees, all seven and the woman are all going to be up in heaven, but there is no marriage. So there's no problem. Problem solved. Make sense? This is true for you. All you are married, you will not be married in heaven. See, marriage is an earthly picture of a spiritual reality that we are the bride of Christ. And so it's an earthly thing in heaven. We're all going to be the bride of Christ. Therefore, we aren't going to be married to each other. Make sense? So that addresses that. But then Jesus goes on. Look what he says. Verse 26. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush Okay, let's talk about this for a second. This is Exodus 3, the burning bush. Kids, you know the story of the burning bush? Moses is there, this bush, it's on fire, but it's not burning up, and he hears a voice from it, and the voice says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Okay? And that's what Jesus says. Now, what's interesting about this 
is that there are other verses that are much more clear in the Old Testament about the resurrection. Okay, if you question the resurrection, I want you to jot down these two references and look at them later. Psalm 16, 9 to 11, and Daniel 12, 2. They're way more clear than this verse about the resurrection, that there is one. So why didn't Jesus pick some easier passages? Why did he pick this one? Well, we don't know, but here's several ideas. One is, is that the Sadducees held up the Torah, the first five books, as the most important. Over the rest of the Old Testament, they said, this is Moses had the really good stuff and everyone else had kind of watered down stuff, okay? So Jesus picks from that. There's another thing to know, is that look at the, (laughs) this is cool. Um, Kids, you're going to get a grammar lesson. Okay, so notice the um, state of being verb and the tense of it. Is it present tense or past tense? I am the God of Abraham. Present or past? Yes! There, my, my teacher, one of my teachers here. Yes, it's a present tense. He didn't say I was. He said I am. I am. Now, there's several things cool about this. First, you have to notice Jesus' view of Scripture. He, he's talking about the tense of a verb. And he's saying, see, he didn't say was. Now, today, we would expect someone to say, ah, you can't trust your Bible. It's been translated. No, Sadducees don't argue that. Jesus believed that the Old Testament scriptures were trustworthy. Long, thousands of years after they were written. You should trust your Bible too. Clear application from that. I am the God. But there's another angle on this. This is covenantal language. I am the God. The promises that God gave to Abraham weren't fulfilled in his lifetime. God said, you're going to have kids as many as the sand on the seashore. Did that happen in his lifetime? Uh-uh. So many of the promises that God gave these men were not fulfilled in their lifetime. And wouldn't that be weird anyway for God to say, I am the God of some dead guys that don't really exist anymore that are dead in the ground? They've been dead for centuries. You see, they had to exist in order to still exist in heaven for him to say this. One of the things that Jesus is teaching is, and them particularly is, if you would just read your Bibles carefully and slow down and meditate on it, you would realize the implications of it are profound. That is still true today. That's why we preach the Bible. I hope you realize week after week, whether it's Brandon preaching or me preaching or someone else, that there's a lot here. If you will slow down, and so we slow down together, and we look carefully at it, and we see it speaks to all kinds of practical things, that we learn, you, if you look at your Bible... It answers many questions of this life. Jesus is making this point in, in, a, in a verse that I would not have chosen, but I'm not Jesus. He's way smarter. Okay, so here we go. <clears throat> he argues against them. Verse 27. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. You are quite wrong. That's absolutely true. Well, then remember his other condemnation was what? Where he said they don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. You see, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were up in heaven waiting for new bodies. Because they, the, Jesus coming back, there's going to be a new heavens and new earth. The power, that takes a lot of power. They didn't believe that God had power to, for people to die and he would rise them all again. Raise them all again. May that never be true of us. That we would, that either those condemnations, that you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. I pray that we'd know the scriptures and the power of God. But remember, this is also addressing our worldview. You will not always be here. Let me remind you of that. 
Isn't it easy? I think that a lot of us live as functional Sadducees. What do I mean by that? I mean the resurrection is not a normal part of your thought process. Is it? Do you go through your days thinking about, I will not always be here. One day, I will be in heaven. No longer married, I'll be like the angels, I'll be worshiping God like the verses we open the service with. You will not always be here. This is very important. Your worldview matters. It actually matters to how you live your life. And Jesus is laying this out. See, he's getting attacked. These are like vicious attacks on him. And he misses no opportunity to give these profound teachings about you're not a landowner, you're a tenant. Pay to give to Caesar what's Caesar's, give to God's what's God's. You bear his likeness, his image. And then finally, that we are citizens of heaven. There is a resurrection. Philippians 3 says it beautifully. But our citizenship, brothers and sisters, is in heaven. I'm so thankful for that. From it we wait a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. Who has a body that they wish worked better? All of you should probably raise your hand too. Right? Don't you, have, don't you wish you had a body that worked better? The older you get, I've been told they just fall apart, right? Waiting a new body. Your worldview matters. Your worldview matters. As we wrap up, you know, Jesus was being attacked and he had these profound things to say. And so if you struggle with highly pressurized conflict, be encouraged. Jesus knows how to handle them. He's been through it many times. And then it's cool too. He schools every group. So who, who have we covered here? Who's he, who's he, he schooled? Let's see, we had the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, the Pharisees, the Herodians, and the Sadducees. Well, that covers most of the Jewish religious leaders right there. And they just came one after another. Please remember, you are not the landowner. You're not the landowner. You are a steward. Everything you have, your very life, is a gift from God. Your time, your talents, and your treasure all belong to God. And when we change our worldview, when we change our mindset, it actually frees us up. It sounds, if, if you don't think that way, you might think, this sounds terrible. And you're, you're calculating in your head, what would it cost me if I gave up one out of every seven days? What if I gave up 10% of my income? What if I, you just, and you're, you're like, no, this all sounds terrible. Do you realize Jesus is not a big thief? He's kind. As, as we trust him with a piece of everything, he actually makes the, the rest of the other six days way better. Right? He, he loves us. He is a good landowner. You ever heard the line that Benjamin Franklin said? He wrote in a letter in 1789. He said, in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. He was right. You know, in the first century, it was the Pharisees, or the Sadducees wanted to talk about death and the Pharisees about taxes. It was also true in the 18th century when Ben Franklin lived, and it's still true today. But there is something more certain than death and taxes that you should think about more than you do. It is the resurrection. It will encourage you. It encourages me with the challenges of life to know there is a resurrection. Your worldview matters. I close with these words. This is John 11. This is Jesus' very words from John 11. I am, Jesus said, the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, you will all die, and so will I. Yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Jesus said. So I ask you, do you believe this, brothers and sisters? 
Do you believe this? As, as you grow older and you know that your end is nearer, all of us should live like that when we're young because many people die young, but as you grow older, be encouraged. Though he die, he will live. Though he die, he will live. You will be with Jesus one day. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I might start crying in front of him. We don't want that. Thank you, this is absolutely true. Lord, you are my only hope. I look forward to being in your arms, to seeing you face to face and stop closing my eyes when I talk to you. Lord, I pray that you would transform our worldview, that we would see everything through your eyes. Thank you that you helped us along in these, this parable and these teachings. Lord, I pray that there would be great freedom for my brothers and sisters, many of them that, that are in bondage to trying to live as landowners. Lord, I pray that they would see themselves as tenants, as stewards. It would free them up. Lord, please help me also. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.